growing up, one of the songs we'd sing as kids in, in church was, uh, I can't remember all, all, I just remember some of the words, uh, but the one, I may never march in the infantry, may never shoot the artillery, may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Uh, that's kind of the theme we're looking at today as we look at Second Timothy, second chapter, verses 3 and 4. Second Timothy, second chapter, verses 3 and 4. Uh, talk, Paul is going to talk about being a soldier, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we read our two verses this morning. Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Let's pray. Uh, Father, certainly it is an honor to be a soldier, to serve in our military. But yet, Lord, it is a greater honor to be your soldier, to serve you, to follow your leadership. And Father, we just pray you encourage us that we would have these things here Paul talks about as we serve you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now the picture of life as a soldier w would be very familiar to the Romans and Greeks of Paul's day. In fact, Seneca would say to live is to be a soldier. And when we look at the writings of Paul, remember he was chained to a Roman soldier as he wrote this letter. So he knew very well what a Roman soldier was like. And he would take that image and he would apply it to the Christian life. In 1 Timothy, he tells Timothy, war a good warfare. In Philemon, Paul will call Archippus our fellow soldier. Uh, he'll make the same title uh, of uh, Epaphroditus in the book of Philippians, our fellow soldier. And of course, in Ephesians 6, where Paul encourages those believers to stand firm and to realize that their fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, and that they're to take up the whole armor of God. So it's an image Paul uses often. And here we see in these verses a call to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And notice what that means. It means endurance. Thou, therefore, you, Timothy, endure hardness. That means literally to suffer evil, to suffer trouble, to endure affliction. In fact, if we choose to be a soldier in the U.S. military, uh, you're choosing and knowing that hardship is coming up, especially the experience of boot camp. I've never been there, but I hear stories of those who have been uh, as they uh, train you to be a soldier physically and mentally. And then there's the prospect of being deployed to the field of battle and going out there where conditions can be extreme. Uh, Dr. John Phillips, he writes of his experience in the British Army. He says, we endured hours of drilling, 
endless parades, long route marches, constant pressure, tasteless food, guard duty, sergeants that bullied us, constant pressure, exposure to inclement weather. The whole procedure was designed to toughen us up. And that's the experience of a soldier. So when Jesus calls us to be his followers, he is not calling us to go on a prince's cruise ship. That is not the call. And some Christians think it's going to be like that. You look at the call of discipleship, I love what uh, Jesus says in Luke 9. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, that has nothing to do with a prince's cruise ship. And he, and he gives, that, gives no illusion of that. The call is to be a soldier. Endure hardness. And it's a lifelong commitment. It's an eternal commitment. Now, a soldier in the U.S. military may sign up for a term, maybe four years, maybe longer. Uh, 20 years, you get your retirement, unless they've changed that. And then they can uh, retire and go out. But not for the Christian. When we become a soldier of Christ, it's forever. It's eternal. We can't get to the point and say in the battle, well, I've had enough of this. I'm going to stuff my pack and go home. Nope, we're going to stay with it. And we're to fight until we stand before our commander, Jesus Christ, and he says, at ease. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Now, Paul knew that. He was an embattled warrior. He was a prisoner of war. He was waiting for execution. He saw himself as a soldier of the cross, faithful, enduring hardness. Dr. John MacArthur, he points out, it's difficult for Christians in most of the Western world to understand this serious spiritual warfare and suffering for Christ, what it really means. Uh, I think he's right. I mean, we look at our brothers and sisters across the world. Uh, church around the world that we had in our bulletin last Sunday or a couple Sundays ago, uh, if, if you looked in it, I mean, it just has lots of that stuff in it. it, it last issue, it talked about uh, college students, five of them in eastern China, the province of Shandong that were facing expulsion because they were caught praying together. Five of them were caught in prayer. Someone took a picture and took it to the authorities. And the Department of Education for that province, uh, they have a rule that any student gathering for religious activi activities in a group of three or more has to be expelled. So that's kind of the persecution in China. Uh, much more there. In, in Pakistan, it talked about that 80% of the Christians there do not own their own homes. And they're forced to live in what they call Christian ghettos and Christian slums. And the authorities there in Islamabad are trying to take away where these Christians are living and force them out, evicting them. In Sudan, 
Pastors that have opposed the government destruction of church worship buildings have been arrested and never seen. Don't know what's happened to them. In Nigeria, Christian farmers are shot and killed so that Boko Haram can take their land. And pastors are being kidnapped right during worship services. Persecution. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That persecution is not going to change. It, it's going to ramp up. And we're going to see it in our land more and more. Now, second thing Paul talks about, he says a good soldier must step away from entanglements. We see this in verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now you take a military soldier, uh, they are restricted in how much they can take part in civilian life. And that's going to begin in boot camp. Uh, I mean, usually you cannot make phone calls. They might let you make one a week. But, but all that is changed. They're in charge. You belong to the military, and you're going to be restricted in what you can do. Uh, phone calls, your, where you can go, your leave. And that's going to continue as long as you are a soldier. I mean, how can you be a soldier and then tell your commander, well, I need to go home and this Saturday mow grandma's yard. You can't do that. That's not going to happen. You're going to have to please your commander. Your life is limited. And that's what Paul's talking about. A soldier doesn't get wound up in the affairs of this life. He needs to be able to please the commander. In fact, the words that Paul uses uh, give a priority for a soldier of Christ. Warreth to make a military expedition, to be on active service, to be engaged in warfare. So, so the focus is fighting the battle. And everything else is laid aside. Now we sang onward Christian soldiers this morning. And someone has done uh, kind of a spoof on that. Rewrote the words. Kind of describes some Christians. Well, let me just read a couple verses out of it. Uh, backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight. With the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stands against the foe. Onward into battle, we seem afraid to go. Like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. What an image, huh? I like that one. But I like the last verse. Sit here then, ye people. Join our sleeping throng. Blend with ours your voices in a feeble song. Blessings, ease, and comfort ask from Christ the King. But with our modern thinking, we won't do a thing. Backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight. 
Uh, that's the complete opposite of what we're to be, isn't it? We don't want to be like those kind of people. The other word is entangleth. That means to inweave, to be involved in, to entangle. And then combined with affairs, which speaks of the necessities of life, business, occupation, uh, whatever. Now, there are many things that are not wrong. But if we're not careful, normal everyday things can just really begin to mesh themselves into our lives. And they can trip up our service for Christ and, and living for Him. And we get all tangled up. It's kind of like Christmas tree lights. I mean, if you don't treat them things right and, and wind them up right, you're going to pull out a box of wadded up mess. And all you can do is just throw them away. Seems like every time I pull out my garden hose to wash my truck, that thing gets knotted up and kinked up. And I have to go and straighten that whole thing up. So I can get some water out of it. Well, if we're not careful, our Christian life can be strangled. And we can get tangled up in just normal things. And it'll affect our Christianity. If you remember Jesus in the parable of the sower... He talked about a farmer that went out and scattered seed on certain kinds of ground. And he, Jesus, when he taught later, he pointed out the seed is the word of God. And here are different types of people and how it's received. Uh, the one I always find interesting is the seed that is sown among the thorns. In Mark, Jesus, when he explains it to the disciples, here's what he says. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Now, now two of those are obvious. We know that we've got to be careful of riches. That can suck us in. Don't get taken in by that. Don't lust after other things. That can trip us up. But the first one, he says, is the cares of this world. Just normal, everyday stuff. Making a living. Making the house payment. Making sure the car runs. If we're not careful, those things can come in and choke the word. We just get wound up with that. We've got to be on guard to that. Uh, Demas was tripped up by this. You look in chapter 4, 2 Timothy, verse 9. Paul tells Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And in verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. He got wrapped up in stuff. 
left Paul. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verse 25, Jesus talks about priority. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? And then in verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There it is priority keep things in their place don't get entangled and Paul tells Timothy stay clear of entanglements don't get wrapped up uh, Dr. Phillips he says of Timothy that Timothy was not expected to organize marches and demonstrations. He is not expected to mobilize public opinion against slavery, persecution, and other social ills. God's purposes in this world, in this age, are spiritual rather than social. If enough people are saved from their sins, social reform will follow as a matter of course. And he is so right. You see, our hope is not in the Supreme Court. Our hope is not in the President of the United States. And let's not forget that. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the Gospel of Christ, one who came from heaven, became one of us, lived a sinless life, was crucified, killed, and resurrected. And he came seeking the lost. And searched us out and offers life and forgiveness. That's our focus. That's the priority. And we need to make sure we don't get sidetracked with other things. Now, oh yes, we're going we're gonna to take a stand. We will. You know we do. But we always do that keeping Christ the focus. If we want to do away with abortion if we want to see the sanctity of life and marriage upheld if we want to get rid of those marijuana shops it's going to come about by winning people to Christ one by one that's where the battle is won that's where it takes place And we need God to send a revival. Change people. In the Welsh revival of the early 1900s, it was a sinful place. And people got saved. 
And when that happened, the taverns and bars closed up. Church houses became full. In fact, they had to take the, uh, the pit ponies out of the mines, the coal mines, and retrain them because the miners quit cussing. And they couldn't understand the commands. They had to retrain the, the mules. Don't depend on government. Seek God. I mean, he's one in charge of kings and presidents and judges. And he can direct their path. So endurance, don't get entangled. And then the third quality, a good soldier of Jesus Christ pleases the master. We see that in verse 4. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, many of us have a desire to please other people. And that has a proper place. Uh, husbands, we need to be aware of the needs of our wife and our children and please them. If we have a job, we need to please our boss. And as a church family, we don't look on our own, out on our, just our needs, but, but the needs of others in the church. But one master rules over all, Jesus Christ. We're to please him. He's first. And he's to take that place. In the heroes of faith, one of those mentioned is Enoch. And the Bible says he was translated, never saw death, because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And of our Lord, Jesus, at his baptism, remember what the Father said about Jesus? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And then a voice was heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus did that. He pleased the Father in everything. He's always obedient. And, and that, that's the key word. How do we please God? One word. Obedience. That's it. That's how you please God. It's simple. You know, a soldier obeys his commander. When that commander gives an order, he doesn't argue with him about it. He doesn't second guess it and say, man, I wonder why I can't give that, give that order. He doesn't go off and do his own thing. He obeys the command. Even if he doesn't understand it, he's a soldier. And those who please God are marked by obedience. Jesus was. In the garden, with the cross just hours away, Jesus went to the Father in prayer and, and said, Take this cup away. But then he also prayed, Not my will, but thine will be done
And Paul says of Jesus that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Obedience. I think I've shared this story once before, but I like it. Robert Morgan tells of his experience when his children were growing up that his daughter Hannah and him, they decided to get a dog, and they got a Great Dane. Is that what you guys have? They're big dogs. They named him Samson. And, it, and he says, it turns out he was well-named. He matched his name. He was big. He was strong. He was muscular. But like Samson, he liked to, he liked to wander. He would take off. And he said, we tried everything, uh, fences, dog runs, chains, and, and he, that dog would always get loose, dig out, climb over the fence, whatever, and take off and be gone for hours. So they bought a book on dog training. Uh, it's called No Bad Dogs by a famous British dog trainer, Barbara Woodhouse. And one night he went up to put his daughter in bed. And she said to him, Dad, I think I know what Samson's problem is. Let me read you this paragraph. And let me just read what uh, Barbara Woodhouse says about dogs. She says, in a dog's mind, a master or a mistress to love, honor, and obey is an absolute necessity. The love is dormant in the dog until brought into full bloom by an understanding owner. Thousands of dogs appear to love their owners. They welcome them home with enthusiastic wagging of tail, jumping up. They follow them about their house happily. And to the normal person seeing the dog, the affection is true and deep. But to the experienced dog trainer, this outward show is not enough. The true test of real love takes place when the dog has got the opportunity to go out on its own as soon as the door is left open by mistake and it goes off and often doesn't return home for hours. That dog loves only its home comforts and the attention it gets from the family. It doesn't truly love the master or mistress as they fondly think. True love in dogs is apparent when a door is left open and the dog still lays happily within earshot of its owner. For the owner must be the be-all and end-all of a dog's life. Wow. You see, the test of our Christianity is when we have the opportunity to go off and wander and do our own thing and do wrong things. Instead of doing that, we choose to stay close to our Lord, abide with Him, and obey Him. That's the good soldier of Jesus Christ. Bob, I'm going to bring you back up. Jesus paid it all. 
We'll bring our team up. Yeah, yeah. We need soldiers. We need more soldiers. We're transferring one soldier back to Virginia to serve back there. God always looking for soldiers. Is he calling one today? Follow me. Be my disciple. Let's stand as we sing. Jesus paid it all.